We're starting. Alright, so this is the Truth to Power Show on Radio Free Brooklyn. I'm your host, VGR Nathan, and we have a special guest today, a fellow RFB host, um, Madeline Took and Edelau, <laughs> who is an artist, gardener, performer, and general creative from Brooklyn. Uh, welcome, Madeline. Hi. How you doing? Thanks for having me on here. Thank you, thank you. So the show you have on uh, Ready for Brooklyn is called City Time. Yeah, so tell actually, us a little bit about that. Yeah, It's actually currently off the air for the winter. Um, it will be returning in the spring, or it may also just continue as my own podcast. It's about urban agricultural projects, because when I was originally on Radio Free Brooklyn, I did a very sort of youthful show, I would call it, called What Would Save the World, when I was a little bit more gung-ho and politically charged and i don't know if i agree with everything i said on that show i kind of view it as like you know a coming of age young political show and city time is more of like a mature political show in the sense that like i'm exploring what i actually think is productive politically which is having more urban agricultural gardens available in the city i grew up in brooklyn Uh, as you said in my bio, and, you know, there's not as much green spaces as there could be. There's not as much uh, nutritional education. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of people in the city who are not, I would say, like, environmentally privileged. You know, they're building a lot, like, you know, pipelines, of course, through low-income neighborhoods. And, yeah, so it's just about projects that are dealing with issues like that, environment, agriculture, education around health and um yeah i'll be returning with that in the spring hopefully good good and one of the quotes i wanted to start us off with is about um you know i believe there's two quotes actually that came to mind about gardening one the voltaire quote uh we must tend to our own garden i believe is the exact i don't know if that's the exact quote but it's basically the idea that um we all must tend to our mental garden or we must all tend to our uh life in a way that cultivates right uh, mindfulness or right action in a way that is almost a little bit, um, you know, kind of like pushing away the political life and focusing in on our life. What what do you think about that? Well, exactly. Like, you know, like you, um, you know, like you said it in your question, so I don't know if I should reveal that. I've seen the questions for the show earlier, and they're very yeah. good. One of them mentions, like, the personal being political, and I think that they do overlap, but I do think, I don't know if it's always been like this, but in my experience, po- politics can be very mean um, or very uh, divisive. I hate to use that word. That's kind of like a buzzword, but... They can be divisive, and I think that changing your own lives and just the people in your community, like, you don't have to think about it. So, like, Democrat, Republican, you can just think, like, oh, are these my neighbors? We live here. Our area could be cleaner. You know, could the children who grow up here be given the tools to continue to make this area better? You know, it really does become personal and what affects your life and the people around you. But I do, I've always wished that people could find more reward in like collective development rather than just personal development. And I don't know if that's part of just American culture, but that's definitely what I've grown up in. Yeah, and I think there's two, the two elements are very much connected. Like as we begin to explore cultivating our own garden, we'll begin to see how we're interdependent with our community. And, mm-hmm. you know, we'll kind of really see that interdependence and we'll see that 
kind of cultivating our own mental states is very much connected with our community and very much connected with um, cultivating our community's garden, you know, if you agree. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think that the coronavirus, not to bring that up, is like showing oh, no, yeah. just how much, you know, their community affects them. You know, if people around you don't practice proper social distancing, yes, you can do it and it'll probably minimize your risk of getting sick. But other people are actively putting you at risk and not taking care of you, even though they're around you and live in the same neighborhood as you. And I, I again, I don't know if that's American culture or what, but I know that in like Rome, the Pope was like taking in like trans prostitutes. Now I wish he was always doing that, but I'm just saying it just shows that a lot of people in other places sort of went in a direction. Maybe they wouldn't typically have gone in because they understood this, these were extraordinary circumstances. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know if Americans really want to do that. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like it's showing us your neighbors affect you and you know people people don't really want to deal with that reality sometimes. no totally totally and i think that um you know we're being to see how especially with the counter narratives these these kind of bubbling up of the trump supporters and these people who are questioning mass and all that they're using the idea of individualism and individual rights as a way to deflect from their responsibility in the social and that really what it boils down to in my opinion is like the communal responsibility versus the so-called individual rights or the alleged individual rights um and how those things are not a conflict with each other but rather you know if you really understood your individual rights if you really understood how survival of the individual has very much connected to the collective uh survival you know Exactly. Like yeah. how a lot of these companies that want to build like pipelines, yes, they want to make more money for their company, but actually they're not Yeah, building a company that could actually, you know, hire more people in the area or, people, or a company that the area wants to support. You know? Yeah, it's, it's a, a sustainability, sustainability. Yeah. So company that a community wants to support because the com because the community genuinely believes in you you're going to survive you know that to me seems like a more like like you said sustainable tactic than just mm. upsetting people in the area exactly exactly and one other quote i wanted to bring up um which is a little more contentious but it has its meaning is um the quote that the author says unknown according to google but i remember this quote it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war what do you think about that one? What do you what do you take away from that? It's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. I was thinking about it. Better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. Yeah, I mean it's an interesting quote, but whose quote is that? You don't know whose quote. I'm not sure because I tried googling. I remembered the quote. I tried googling it, and then I, it says the author is unknown. But I just, um, I'm gonna try googling it again. Gardener. In a war, I may be a Chinese philosopher, I'm not sure. Okay, well, this is what I'd say. I'd say that in my life, one of the truths that I've learned is that uh, there's a time and a place for different things, and I think at different times you can be a warrior and a gardener. Maybe you could be both at the same time sometimes, but I think it's just a balance and figuring out what is an effective role for you based on the time period or what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And also, we redefine the word warrior 
Um, because when we think about spirituality as being a spiritual warrior or being like, you know, going against uh, vices or going against negative states of mind, if we kind of expand our idea of the spiritual war or spiritual conflict, then I guess we're starting to get into more of a playing field that I can understand that the struggle of like internal struggles that we're constantly dealing with, you know, we're constantly um, grappling with our, uh, our internal struggles is something more I can understand the, the spiritual war rather, you know? Yeah, that makes sense that we're always struggling with what's going on inside of us. So if we're like a gardener in the war, like we're trying to regrow ourselves while we're still fighting for something. Sometimes it's really hard to grow while you're fighting. And that's something I've noticed that like when it comes to people who are actually like warriors and like social justice or any kind of justice, like they're fantastic people. But I've noticed like a huge percentage of people seem to really be struggling with like an immense amount of pain and it gets in the way of them being able to do effective work and i would say that i was definitely one of those people yeah yeah so one of our questions is about uh what life experiences do you reflect on that was pivotal to your process so we can talk a little bit about that now um, so I guess this is kind of a really dark story to get into right away, but if it really, you know, if we're going to be clear, this is probably one of the things that changed my mindset more than anything else. So when I was younger, I was very, very trusting. At some point, I ran away from home, even though I had a pretty good home life. You know, things are complicated, but I kind of would just go with whoever seemed like they were traveling like me, like hitchhiking or hopping a flight train or just, you know, just going along. It was during the Occupy Wall Street movement in 2011, which I now know, you know, most people don't really care about that much. A lot of things have happened since then. Um, but I was traveling to these different parks and sleeping in parks and protesting. And um, I, so yeah, I used to be really trusting. And then after I came home and things were a little calmer, I moved to an agricultural like commune but like you know it's not like it's not like what you envision sometimes it is you know obviously people are engaging in like polyamorous relationships but some of them like have children it's not really that wild if that makes sense but um it was it was honestly more chilled out than traveling you know and that i would say was a life-changing experience in the sense that you know i was the city kid like living on a farm with all these hippie weirdos um and some of them were really normal some of them were like suburban people and then you know whatever i just learned a lot from that experience i'm passionate about gardening i know a lot about varieties but while i was there there was like um somebody who visited at one of our educational events like there's all these um workshops and conferences that some of these communes have where they talk about you know various agricultural stuff um and communal stuff um organization stuff bring that back when you're done um and um this guy who was there at one of these events came back to the commune that I lived on and he stayed there for a little bit and it turned out that he was kind of like crazy and people wanted to trust him because the truth is about some of these places that are alternative in some way is that you know people with a certain amount of mental illness or like neuroatypicalness can get by you know if they're peaceful enough but this guy ended up being kind of like a little violent 
mm. and like angry. And then what he ended up doing was he ended up setting the house on fire. He like poured diesel all over the floor and then lit a match and threw it at like the stove. And we all woke up in this like house of like 18 people asleep in the middle of the night and got out. And luckily no one died, but I definitely think this was a pivotal moment in my life in the sense that I stopped trusting anybody. Mm. No, I trust people, but like it definitely, you know, I described that story about going with whoever while I was traveling. And now I am far less trusting. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we should note that, you know, the connection between, obviously we understand that, you know, some people have violent tendencies, but this is not connected to, mental illness i mean mental illness in general is like something that's as we know is separate from any anger issues you know i mean i just think we should just kind of clarify that i mean the guy obviously had issues that were related to something else that perhaps was underlying causes and such yeah i would actually have to disagree um so i that when people obviously when like shooters come out and the reason that they shot people is because you know, they're a violent person and we should call them what it is and not make it racial. I know, totally, totally, yeah. People, you know, call certain people terrorists and certain people mentally ill, and I do understand that that is a huge issue. But I do think, as someone who, like, is mentally ill, you know, if you're mentally ill, sometimes that means that you can struggle to be grounded in reality, and depending on what kind of person you are, that can lead to violence. You know, it can be, you know, obviously, I, I get what you're saying, that, like, a violent person could be mentally ill or not, but I still think... You know, to not suggest that mental illness can, like, lead to violence if not handled properly is important. And, like, it's very dangerous, I think, for people to not examine that possibility. I mean, I just think that when we think about mental illness broadly, mental illness, mental illness in this country broadly, um, there's many more people who are diagnosed with mental illness then there are people who are violent. I mean, you know, they're, they're kind of unrelated. It pretty much, uh, you know, people who have not been diagnosed with mental illness can be have propensity towards violence almost just as frequently as people who have been, you know, diagnosed with mental illness. You know, but it's I like just not diagnosed because yeah. of access and education. What was like, that? Are they just not diagnosed? Are they just not diagnosed because of access and education and normal, like the normalcy, or what would you call it, the normalization of mental of mental health treatment? Like I no. know that I'm, you know, about to be thirty in a couple of years, and my parents are like in their sixties, and I know when they were younger, people thought you had to be like a freaking psycho to get a therapist, and now like most people I know in New York City have a therapist, but I've yeah. also people who have lived in like south carolina and it's more it's more difficult to get a therapist out there so i guess it's just hard for me to just like a lot more people get diagnosed with mental illness than people who are violent yeah because i would assume that most of the people who are seeking treatment for mental illness would be less likely to act violently because they're seeking help for mental illness Did you yeah, see yeah yeah i think a lot of people are struggling with mental illness and i think a lot of people actually like struggle with you know, semi-violent tendencies. And I think that it's, like, something that I think is people are a lot less far away from the people they think they are far from, if that makes sense. Like, Yeah, I mean, it really depends on what we mean by mental illness, you know? Like, diagnosed or not diagnosed, yeah. What? It it depends on what we mean. Like, when we say we receive a diagnosis, 
like sure like uh we're all on a mental spectrum of like experiences and we can have episodes we can have kind of experiences with mental health issues uh people have experienced depression people experience you know postpartum all these kind of things we have like minor episodes where they become diagnosed with some kind of illness that becomes like a, a episodic uh in their life um and these people obviously you know it's just one part of their life as opposed to uh, a chronic chronic ongoing disorder you know yeah i mean there's all kinds of mental illness and it takes its you know it manifests in so many different ways but i guess in the case of this dude on the commune yeah he, he believed you know we were all holograms and that some council some shit was telling him to do it so i'm saying like yes that's a violent person and not all people who have delusions like that are violent and then maybe that's separate from his mental illness but he definitely like wanted to be violent due to like a delusion he was having yeah yeah, yeah. no what totally totally in this specific instance yeah and probably was connected to his ongoing belief or chronic illness that there was some kind of the belief itself is really what you know kind of undermines his ability to act rationally so um you know the belief and how but i'm very interested generally speaking on how advocating obviously for people who have mental illness and advocating for you know proper treatment proper counseling proper care and i think you're on the same page with that you know that we're like we're seeking we're active and everyone should be seeking self-improvement and self-care and that's something that across the board we should be tending to our garden if you will yeah, yeah. it should be yeah. should be but yeah. i guess like should be like that's really yeah. what it into like situations like that and maybe a couple others in my life that are like big yeah. have just taught me that should be like get you nowhere like yes yeah. they get you somewhere for yourself but like yeah. and maybe you can affect the people around you but like should be's are not gonna make like dudes like that not exist you know yeah like and that i guess is what i'm saying is how i ch it changed me as a person like i cannot prevent you know, delusional dude from him being violent based on his delusions. And I just feel like that's just what I see over and over, you know, in the yeah. world. Like, most tragedies are caused by something like this. And it's like a natural disaster or something. Most bad things that happen, I feel like, are because somebody, you know, didn't do what they should do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I think we need to focus in on, you know, our own journey and like, you know, how we can kind of cultivate right, right mindsets. So we'll talk a little very focused, not so much on other people's journey, but on your journey and how, you know, we kind of can get to a place of, of uh, more alignment and uh, how we can get to a place of more, um, you know, cultivating the right states of mind and all that and you know and really understand uh where we're coming from so we'll try to return back to your journey and how it brought you to uh exploring gardening in your life um so what's another is there anything else you want to bring up as far as like life experience we can go on to like uh, some truths that you believe some things that are true that people uh don't appreciate the general public doesn't appreciate um, I think what else are pivotal moments? Yeah, pivotal I mean, moments or know, truths that you discovered. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yes, I guess the first one is I don't, you know, you, you can't stop people 
from being themselves, I guess. Uh, and then I learned just a lot about, this is what I was going to say before, actually. Uh, when I was traveling around during Occupy, I definitely lived as a semi-bum, you know, with access to some help from my mother, so it was a little different. But I definitely met a lot of people who, like, live on the street or, like, on highways and stuff. And I just kind of learned that people are always, like, kind of two steps from being a bum and two steps from being, like, totally, like, paranoid, paranoid, delusional. Like, it could happen to anybody if the wrong things happened. I feel like, you know, some people obviously are more predisposed to things, but I just think people think they're so far from the people they think that they are separate from. Do you know what I mean? Are so much closer to the people they think they're far from. I guess that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, it's like the the uh, our relationships can be fraught with difficulties, and and how we kind of relate with people is very important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, yeah, but as far as like essential truths go, so the, the essential truth here, what would you say is the essential truth that you've discovered? That you're always two steps away from the person you think is a stranger. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, like yeah. You're far from the people you think are far from you. That's an essential truth. Yeah, yeah. So in like, other words, like, um, like you know, the, you, you've, what's been seen is that like what's most effective with people in hate groups is them talking to the people that they think that they hate. Do you know what I'm saying? Like that one dude who gets everybody to just like leave the KKK because it's because they just read this black dude. I forget his name. He used to be a musician, but he just meets with KKK members and they're like, oh, wait, you're a nice guy. And they leave the KKK. Like, that is what is effective. It, I'm saying that is what I'm saying is people are just so much closer and more similar to the people they think they're far from. That's the essential truth. You know, that's what fucking yeah. racist people sometimes. Yeah, it has to do, I think, with the otherizing. It's like making the other people, making like, instead of seeing how we're similar, seeing like how we're the same person or the same initiative, same uh, fabric, that we all have, you know, the same foundation, our closest are like, instead of focusing on common denominators, we're focusing on what makes us distinguish and that kind of otherizing, that's kind of part of otherizing. It's like uh, we're mm -hmm. making people out to be, you know, kind of demonizing or otherizing and kind and of in, in what way we're doing that, yeah. In a way, that's linked to what I was saying about mental illness before. Yeah. In a way, for me to be like, oh, I'm mentally ill, but I'm not, you know, like, one of those yeah. violent people, like, is almost like, does me a disservice, because I feel like there have been times in my mental illness where I definitely didn't behave in ways that I would think were purely without violence. Oh, that's yeah, true. yeah. You know what oh, I'm I see. Uh, now I'm kind of getting a little around to what you're saying, because in my opinion, it's like, uh, in my view, it's more like, you know, we're all kind of afflicted by violence. So we, I'm, I guess I'm not, I'm taking for granted the fact that in, in that way, that view is taking for granted or, or bypassing the idea that I'm also, I have the possibility of having violence, violent yes, tendencies exactly. and what degree do I, oh, okay. Exactly. Now I'm more on board. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people who behave violently are coming from a certain amount of isolation. So it's yeah. just like, who am I to think that I might not experience that level of isolation some, at some point? You know, maybe it wouldn't cause me to be violent, but I'm yeah. just saying, like, I don't think people are like, what if I was really desperate? Like, how far am I from trying to steal something? Yeah, no, totally. Like, I'm not totally. really, like, thinking about this, obviously, but I'm saying, yeah. like, you know, like, somebody robbed the nail salon around here recently because they had a... Uh, 
you know, uh, designer purses in the back. And I was, like, getting a coffee, and the cops were, like, telling the guy in the coffee shop to, like, be careful. And, I, and uh, what I realized is the re I, he just said, oh, you know, I wonder what's going on. And I was like, you know, I just think people are more desperate now. And he was like, yeah, yeah, you know. People were, somebody was really, really, really desperate. I mean, they also could have been a Cray who does this all the time, and this is their thing. But I, I think some of it, you know, people get so desperate. They're like, hey, as a designer purse, I could get 200 bucks. I need 200 bucks just to fucking pay my rent. I'm like, that's all I need. Maybe I can get away with it. You know, I see that people could not be that far from that. Yeah, yeah. No, totally, totally. Now I understand. I'm more on board. Um, and also, it has to do with... because. I think it has to do with also like how because uh, in my view, it's like, you know, when we think about like creation and manifestation work, a lot of this like a lot of this work, a lot of this work uh, in uh, self-improvement has to do with understanding that the mind creates our reality. And that's one thesis of like generally a manifestation work and uh, of uh, Buddhism in particular, even like New Age thought in particular um, has to do with how. You know, there's no objective source of meaning, but rather the perceiver is kind of giving meaning to um, our experiences. You know, we're giving meaning to our experiences and it kind of empowers in a way. It's kind of empowering in a way because it's like all the things that are going wrong. It's like, well, we're kind of responsible for because but at the same time that's empowering because it's like we can change ourselves and therefore change the change a wrong into a right you know yeah i mean i think that there's definitely truth to people you know having responsibility over what happens in their lives but i do think that some of that stuff is like somewhat toxic and be can be related to classism in a way just because some people have so little power over their situation then it's hard for them to you know change in their mind obviously people can do it but i know that it's like way easier said than done and sometimes when people feel like oh it's like my fault that my life isn't going the way i want it to it like feeds into that depression and like self yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah yeah it has so, to be done like, skillfully i think another thing has to be done skillfully like there are many people who are relatively well off who seem to perceive themselves as like struggling because they you know because for whatever reason they perceive themselves as not being able to buy the the lexus that everyone else has they're only getting a mercedes-benz or whatever it is or whatever or the verse vice versa i don't know which one's more uh, I mean, I you know or vice versa whatever it is uh you know, they have a lexus and everyone else has a mercedes-benz so like that oh i'm struggling for that reason whereas people who are actually struggling may feel that they're very abundant in their life and may have a sense of abundance in their life and may have a sense of like they're 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 blessed and they're gifted and they're you know like it's more like our internal climate yeah absolutely uh, i think that that is true to some degree i think again it's really dependent and you know it depends on how much you're struggling you know yeah. if you have you know some amount of your basic needs and you're struggling to get them but you mostly get them you know you're okay i'm talking about you know there are people who are in you know extra situations where you know they can't get off the street they have no yeah. no support system do you know what i'm saying yeah like, no I, totally, totally and i think uh, speaking I'm for myself yeah i'm not i i and i mean i could be i could be but right now i'm not really like in the position where i couldn't find someone to loan me 200 bucks if i need it you know i mm -hmm. just like sometimes imagine a world where like i really don't have anybody who would lend me 
money if I really needed it. Yeah. And I think about what kind of what life must be like for people like that. Like that must be really hard. Yeah, it builds up our yeah. compassion at the very least to be able to understand yeah. that, you know, we have well, a possibility. I understand to be that here. that at this point is far from my mindset, but maybe it couldn't be someday. And that, like, I don't know. I just think that that's where a lot of people's heads are at sometimes. Um, yeah. But that they just don't have any support system and they're scared and they're desperate. And sometimes it's hard to focus on, like, self mental improvement. When that's going on but i also think that um like you were saying before um people who um appreciate their lives oh i watched that show big mouth on that show big mouth there's like this part where there's like a gratitude that teaches the kids in big mouth that that the solution to depression maybe i shouldn't give this away but the solution to depression is gratitude yeah and that's not, you know, obviously sometimes it's hard to be gracious if you really don't have what you need. But I know, I know that. Like, I know I'm not excessively rich. Like I said, I'm not rich. Like, I had, but I have, you know, support if I need it. Like I said, like, yeah. if I really need someone to, like, loan me something for a minute so I can get back on my feet. Like, not much, but I can. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. That's such a um, thing to be grateful for. Like, that is something I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful that I've been able to, like, remain you know, somewhat afloat during this crisis. You know, I'm grateful for so much. And yeah. I think, but I think it's hard to always be grateful for everything when sometimes shit sucks. Like, sometimes I think that that can be, like, living in denial. Yeah. Yeah, definitely we want to get to a point where we're grateful for what we have and that that's a good baseline, a good foundation upon which to build. And we're kind of looking at gratitude for... Even like uh, one one technique that I've heard is like future gratitude, where it's like we're grateful for what is coming our way, and we're grateful for the the possibilities, um, for um, for what potentialities. So we're grateful for those potentialities to manifest, and that'll kind of create the foundation for uh, possibly for us to receive those benefits by creating a gratitude for future events. So that's something that, um, this is the Truth to Power show on Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, we're here with Madeline Took uh, from City Time. Uh, I believe there's a little bit of a, okay. Hi, I'm oh, there you are. There you I did get, <laughs> just yeah. for uh, transparency, Radio Free Brooklyn, I had to get my phone charger. We're all at home. Yeah. <laughs> or my so, computer not my yeah so just to catch you up did you hear what i said or i heard most of it okay good good so basically having to do with like uh future gratitude and being grateful for you know when we set when we say when gratitude for what we have but also gratitude for what's coming or the grace that's coming can help us kind of build a foundation upon which to receive that uh that future event just like you know jim carrey had the uh uh, famous example and this is one example of like him writing himself a 10 million dollar check and then you know ultimately cashing it with the, the the mask i believe it was um you know how he was able to manifest that by being specific in his goal you know he was like all right i'm gonna get 10 million dollars in check for acting services rendered and then like 10 years later he actually i mean he wrote a check, check before he had the money and then he 10 years later he manifested a 10 million dollar payday and it has to do with the technique has to do with 
how we're kind of grateful for what what event is coming in future and how we work towards a specific goal rather than a nebulous goal. Yeah, I think that focusing on, you know, what you specifically want is helpful. I guess, you know, at this point, I'm not an especially focused person, so it's hard for me to relate to that. Like, I'm yeah. focused to a degree, but I definitely, like, don't know exactly what I want, you yeah. know? Like, I understand that I want to do something creative, I want to have you know, a stable career so that if, you know, this happens again, I have a great remote job. <laughs> you know, Rona, like I just, uh, the Rona has completely changed my life. I yeah. Just everybody's, you know, just my perspective on like what the goals are. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's good to think about, it's good to reflect on kind of, this is a time where we can, you know, use it as an opportunity rather than an obstacle uh, we can view it as an opportunity because these things are neither true nor they're not true. They're more like nebulous area of like, what is the, even though the event is taking place, it's like, what is the meaning of the event and, uh, and how we interpret it basically is based on, you know, how we've, what our experiences have happened, what have happened to us in the past and what we intend or what kind of future we're leaning into. So, I mean, I think definitely we can leverage um, the experience of coronavirus as an opportunity to really engage in practices that might be beneficial to us in future so that then we can then, um, you know, use this opportunity that we're collectively, uh, there's been, like, has been kind of like a collective disadvantage being placed on us so that then we can use that so that then we can come out more, um, you know, progressed in the future. Yeah, I'm definitely hoping that we as a society come out of this better. Yeah. I think that there's been a lot of um, time for people to examine what has been wrong for so long. And I think you can see that in people's individual lives. Like, I definitely experienced that. Like, I quit cigarettes at the beginning of the Rona due to, like, financial issues. But it was definitely for the best. And, you know, I can breathe better now. Um, and, you know, just cigarettes are bad. But yeah. I think that society is seeing that too you know we have the big black lives matter protests happening even though that happens that's always that's been happening for a while and people were not caring so you know people care less as it goes down or at least white people care less and it and it sucks and, you know you know what i mean there it, it goes up and it goes down i'm just hoping people um keep the lessons of the rona as it's over yeah yeah and it's up to us individually to like you know take those lessons to heart and, and, and demonstrate or illustrate to others, you know, um, how it's done, if you will, <laughs> you know, and then we can kind of hope that we kind of hope that other people will also that we can kind of pull up ourselves and, and take to heart. I mean, they, we were talking a little bit about how so many people have been promoting or perpetuating um, misinformation and how, you know, individually we can get ourselves informed and and understand, you know, all this, in this era of like so-called fake news, uh, how we can kind of be more, um, you know, kind of meticulous in our understanding of, of what's going on in the world, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think that the first step is like, I'm hoping that when this is all over that people invest a lot more money into education. Because what I'm saying is, yes, people are getting into misinformation. And some of that I think is due 
to us not really teaching young people how to identify what is an accurate source. Yeah. What you should trust. You know, people like I, I've seen like websites that, you know, spread Alex Jonesian ideas. Like even InfoWars is like a crappy website. Like his website sucks. Like it doesn't look yeah. it doesn't look good. Like you can tell these people didn't figure out how to use you know any programming languages like they didn't figure out how to have a good website so how do you possibly think they know anything about like what the shape of the earth is or like about vaccines like you know like we have to teach people how to identify what is a source and we haven't been doing that and we have been horribly like neglectful in terms of education systems you know like in new york city the schools are funded by uh uh, by like property taxes and obviously that just ends up with people who have more money having better educations and like basically in a way just being able to pay for better education you know better materials just fucking weird class seg- segregation that gets linked to race in certain ways and then just like you know people don't know how to look up what a vaccine actually does because no one ever fucking taught them because the yeah. government bad at allocating their funds Hmm. yeah definitely empowering people to be able to discern is part of the point of education although a lot of times we see kind of a failure of education to properly equip people like i think it has a lot to do with as you're saying the the attention given to it uh whether it be through funding or whether it be through um just like you know not the models the models of education of being like uh test um focused is not the model i think that is beneficial you know just studying for an exam passing the exam and then saying oh that's all we need to do you know just getting people through some arbitrary loop or hoop to jump through um rather than really cultivating thinking minds you know yeah absolutely and i uh see people trying to create more hands-on programs and i think that's part of what it's going to be too is like getting the government to fund schools but also people coming up with like community projects like some group that i heard about or that i spoke to on city time organized like a plant installation in maria hernandez in bushwick the park and uh, they want to use this art installation that's made with plants and sustainable wood teach kids about sustainability and workshops like when this when it gets warmer you know make it part of their curriculum where they can come over and learn about plants and i think working hands-on with plants can definitely be a positive experience for kids like learning about science because they can see like what how would you say it like the like the proof in front of them you know what they'll learn about plants growing in their science class they'll see in the garden class they're in you know if they plant plants <laughs> see that they grow through photosynthesis you know and then they'll learn to trust science because i think that's what you're saying is true like people they just learn it on a test they have to memorize some facts and they're like what even makes this true why should i trust this they never engaged me they never gave me like an authentic experience that will stay with me so why should i trust them yeah and i Going to back to trust or underlying trust as being an issue, it's like um, we have to continue to, it's not a question of just us blindly trusting our public institutions and our institutions, but rather, you know, 
kind of cultivating, you know, from the top down or from the bottom up is both both strategies are using where we elect people who are like cultivating um, trustworthy institutions as opposed to, you know, the, the, the Trump administration, which is undermining their kind of the um, integrity of a lot of these institutions. Uh, you know, given the fact that ideologically, whatever reason, or just because he wants to line his own pocket, you know, we have people undermine the integrity of these institutions. And that kind of undermines the trust that people have in these institutions. And one thing leads to another. Um, so we want to kind of cultivate uh, communally the, uh, in our communal garden, um, kind of the right, uh, yeah, the right institutions, the right kind of the right notes that we're hitting, but um, also I have a couple quick announcements. Yeah, go ahead. Always distrusted schools, not before Trump. I think that uh, it depends on where you went to school. You know, yeah. I think I went to pretty, um, you know, cool schools, I guess, with different art programs, and I had lots of great, authentic, genuine experiences in school. But that's not what I've heard from all of my friends throughout the city who grew up in different districts and went yeah. to very different schools with very different funding levels, you know, mm. they were lucky enough to go to a magnet school or some shit that Hillary Clinton funded for like one year in 2003 or something, you know, yeah. but really, really like, I think people feel very abused by the, uh, by our government and by the education system. And I think that a lot of people have been very poorly served to the point now where they really don't know how to identify what a fact is. And exactly, I think that exactly, yeah. when people are not so, I, so I just think it's it's not Trump that made people not trust public education, and it's not even like the teachers themselves. You know, sometimes it's just not their fault, and I think a lot of people know that. Like, it's just when you pack kids in really crowded classrooms and they don't have good textbooks, and they're in you know these just these jam-packed schools with very few extra programs. You know, what saved my life? Not saved my life, but growing up in school that had art programs and lots of different like I had I got to take dance for gym and stuff because I was in these very you know middle class neighborhoods where the schools had great funding and you know parents had jobs and had time to be parents had you know certain kind you know certain level of a job that they were able to be involved in school programming or there was those programs to be involved in at all you know what I'm saying like I think that everybody gets involved in their schools, but I think that some of these schools are hard to, you know, nurture in a certain way because there's not enough funding, and I think people are angry about that, and it makes them kind of want to believe in conspiracies and false information. So that, that's why I just keep going back to the root of it, is to, like, invest in education in a big way so that, you know, the upcoming generation, like, does understand science, does trust science, does trust you know, some of the truths that have been heavily studied for yeah. a while. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. And I think that we have kind of a creation of like, now it seems like uh, I'm starting to become aware, or I've become aware in the past few years that we have like, quote-unquote, alternative sources of like information and alternative sources of education. And these kinds of sources are heavily biased. I mean, they're calling attention the underlying bias of a lot of our institutions, but um, whether or not we can kind of understand or teach people to navigate that um, sea of information with a way that acknowledges that everything has some bias, but to what extent is that bias overwhelming and to what extent can we discern between multiple sources 
um, what is factual and distinguishing factual and like what is kind of the essential values that we hold as a society. And I definitely agree with what you're saying. I'm just like articulating that, you know, the polarization of our society has gotten to the point where it's like, you know, we have people questioning. I mean, there's always been a questioning of like whether or not higher institution, higher education institutions, um, you know, like there's just a slandering of them as being a liberal bias, liberally biased, and that uh, which is not kind of helpful because we're trying to understand that the values that underlie these institutions are ones that are bettering society in whole as a whole, and that you know to kind of slander them as having some kind of you know quote unquote liberal bias is not helpful. You know, I mean. Some of it's just not even liberal. Like, we use all these freaking words, like, liberal, yeah. conservative. Like, to yeah. me, conservative is just, like, religious and poor. Yeah. Democrat is, like, I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like what has happened is, like, the very wealthy have learned how to manipulate the religious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, like, what it looks like to me a lot of the time. Um, and I think that... That's where some of this comes from. This like not trusting education and not trusting science. Some of that is like very strongly religiously influenced. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That is very strongly and therefore very like big business influenced. Do you see what I'm saying? Like mm. I feel like if you can get someone to believe something that that is not fact, you can like you know, manipulate that any way you want to, you know, God, this God, that God, like there's, if you watch this, is a great documentary, it's called, um, hate thy neighbor. Uh, it's a docu-series. I think it's on Hulu or Netflix. I can't remember which, but it's about this guy. He goes around, he visits hate groups in different parts of the world. And, um, this group, you know, there's all this stuff in the South, like God wants you to, you know, frack pretty much. Like, that this oil, God put this here for us so we could have the American oil fields. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that to me, I don't really believe there's that much in the Bible about, like, fucking huh. selling huh. oil, like, in America's yeah. farmlands. Like, if anything, that sounds like Mormonism, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's just weird. So what I'm saying is... I think that this God thing has been really um, used in business. And I think that a lot of the, or for, you know, potentially, you know, dangerous business like fracking, you know. So I think that they don't want people to be really that educated because then therefore people wouldn't really want to buy their products anymore or, you know, support. So, you know, God yeah. is way easier to control than someone who understands the scientific method and knows they shouldn't trust you know shit somebody posted on like a forum you know mm. yeah i agree i agree and i think definitely that uh people who are like dogmatic are easily it's easy to move the rug that or pull the rug under their their feet and kind of get them into a different like i'm thinking the opposite of what their um you know traditionally their religious tradition has as has believed because you're like oh now you know you're, kinda, you're so adherent to your leader you're so adherent to the kind of dogmatic thinking that it's easy to kind of twist it around and um manipulate people in a way that they're, if they're not you know really i mean they're not really analyzing and interpreting in a way that 
um, is more, uh, you know, it's just like it's, it's helpful to teach people, give people tools to think critically rather than kind of just buying a whole lot and barrel a whole kind of, you know, community th group think or hive think, you know. Yeah, definitely. What do you mean by hive think? Like, like in other words, like how like your your kind of specific enclave. Like we we talk a lot about echo chambers and creating echo chambers in our society, and how bubble keeping ourselves in a small little bubble about not like allowing, um, you know, critical thinking rather than kind of hiding in a bubble think. Or like a hive think or a group think. These are all kind of similar ideas. The idea that yeah, you know, I know the groups. Yeah, about. you know, you understand. Um, yeah. Definitely, I think you know, group think can be problematic. But I also think sometimes we're forced to have the same debates over and over because people. Yeah. Because like, honestly, like I, I can be really crass because stupid people want to say critical thinking and free speech are being challenged. Yeah, yeah, and I think totally. like that can be true at times but i just i've been like in the past like five years you know since trump i've seen a resurgence of people wanting to debate shit where it's like yo man we like worked that out in the 60s yeah, yeah. like it's like no we don't need to be having these debates anymore like you know and i think you know we see uh, like a big debate about this like you know, when Antifa started coming out, like, again, you know, being like, oh, you know, should we have dudes who are worried about speaking? No, we probably shouldn't. You know, it's just like we all know who goes and sees those people, and that just sounds really dangerous to have those people go to Harlem after we've already, like, had these debates, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, totally. Had these debates like so long ago. Like we know that, like you know, like what has happened throughout history. You know. Yeah, no, I totally agree, and I think that what I'm trying to get at also is like how um, we have like uh, you know, I know that there's an instigator. I think it's more like you know we have like uh, um, you know some specific leaders who are coming out who. In, in, in smaller ways, not just in the national level, but in smaller ways, people are riding the wave of this group think and trying to, you know, interject them into national and uh, general conversation um, and in the international conversation. Um, but at the same time, you know, we are kind of like, you know, um, yeah, we're just following blindly without you know, thinking about, well, why are we having this conversation? Why are we having specific conversations? And how can we uh, negotiate certain things? You know, like, we have a whole area of, of, you know, where is it coming from, really? And coming from, really, from a sense of disenfranchisement. You know, we have, like, people who feel like they're being disenfranchised. Um, and whether or not that's the case or not is really you know, is up for up for interpretation, you know? Yeah, I definitely struggle with that. Uh, how many people want, like, believe that they're an interest group. Yeah. Um, but, and I guess that they are at a certain point if they say that they are. But, you know, it, it, it's just hard to say because, you know, when we get down to it, there is, you know, systemic issues and then there are, like, personal issues. Yeah. Obviously, those two things are related, 
but like if the government isn't really regulating your freedoms like in an excessive way like you are not being as affected as another person like that is as like for example like what i'm saying is like you know like i feel like a lot of people who don't understand like black lives matter or something mm. like that mm. like they're like but i'm white and i have problems too and it's like yes you have problems and yes you are absolutely like oppressed by your government because your government controls a lot of things about your life and the american healthcare system blah 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 yes that is all true but like it is just not the same as like you know, the political barriers and things that have affected low-income communities, which are predominantly black, or not predominantly black, but definitely, you know, like, higher percentages than, like, white people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. There are definitely, like, laws in place that keep, you know, white people in power. Mm. You know, like, that's that's what I think. I know I'm saying this, like, really vaguely, and I feel like someone who doesn't understand the deeper parts of this is not going to understand this. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. I mean, I think we understand. I think most of our, our listeners will be able to understand that, you know, we kind of we think about... Um, like the, like the, the yeah. 13th Amendment, you know? Like the 13th... Yeah. That's, that's a really good example. Like the 13th Amendment made it that slavery was illegal unless you were imprisoned. And then what happened is, is, you know, you know, young black men and women were, you know, more you know, prosecuted for crimes, even if they didn't commit more crimes. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and that has been, you know, shown to be true in modern times also. Mm. You know, that's the whole point of Black Lives Matter. Mm. You know, like, so I guess what I'm saying is, like, a lot of people are not, like, systemically affected like that. There is not, like, corruption in the powers that exist. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, around you. So, not you, but, you know, that's what I'm saying, like, yeah, around the, these people who object or yeah, have some kind of objection. Groups and to, people who yeah. believe that there are, so I'm talking about there's like personal issues and there's like these larger issues. And I'm just saying like a lot of white people who are like, but I'm, I have a hard life too. It's like you don't face anything like that. Yeah. And you're also, like, this has to do with when we bring up these things in our circles, how we kind of get surprised or kind of like, it's easy to take for granted the idea that people were interacting with shared the same values and when people were interacting with suddenly it'd be like oh you know i don't believe uh you're kind of you know wrong to believe black lives matter it's like what are you talking about like what how could you possibly you know object to that and and then having conversation whether or not it's fruitful to be like you know taking them to task if you will or whether or not we just be like well you know the information's out there and if you're not being res- responsible enough to uh, educate yourself, then wh- why is it my duty to like educate you? You know. You know, I I kind of agree. Like at this point, because you really can't make someone change their mind. Most people yeah. who have changed their mind like come to it completely on their own. Exactly. Like last exactly, night. Yeah watching a youtube video that was like progressive christians versus conservative christians and i looked mm-hmm. up one of the progressive christians and she had a really beautiful video like honestly i am not religious and struggle with the concept of religion completely but this girl was saying about how she just naturally not naturally but just like a couple different things happened in her life that made her realize that like queer people should be embraced by christianity and that like <laughs> you know christian people are wrong for opposing 
people, you know, and she'd had a religious experience where she heard like something bad coming in the distance of her house and she didn't know what it was. And she realized it was like a parade of people celebrating that like gay marriage was still illegal. And she realized because she was so scared of those people approaching that like they must be the, you know, wrong. Yeah. You know, she took it as this is the sign. This is the sign that queer people should be accepted. And you can't force that on somebody, whether it's going to be a religious experience or yeah. your part, like they kind of have to choose. And it's unfortunate. Like, you know, the information is there. Like, I hear what you're saying. If they don't want to yeah. look for it, that's kind of like on them. Yeah. And, yeah. We can always but, speak our truth and kind of present our truth in a way that's kind of, you know, just putting it out there kind of a way. You know, and then we defend, obviously, when this time, when the time calls for us to defend and take active action to defend someone's rights, you know, we kind of intercede or we kind of do something active, then those times we'll know, we'll know when those times are there. But there are times when we just have to be like, listen, I mean, that's my opinion. That's your opinion. If you can't understand the truth, then you'll suffer as a result of that. Uh, and, you know, just respecting people's process. But I also think that at a certain point, it's like, how much are we going to allow those people to think that their opinions are acceptable to yeah. be around? See, that's the exactly, thing. Like, exactly, that was yeah. what I struggled with in like, like circa 2016 or 2017 when all these like Trumpy people were like first starting their little book tours or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like at colleges and stuff. I was just like, why do we really need to hear from them? Is it because the student body wants to hear from them? I was like, what, the 15, like, dudes who are, like, mad that, like, liberalism has made them not get a girlfriend or something? Yeah. You know what I mean? On, like, campus. Like, you know, like, this, like, and that, and as much as I, and I do think that, like, isolation is a real issue and that people deserve, like, love and company and care, you know? But it's like, that. you know what I mean? It's just not the same in a lot of these, like, and how do you say this? Like, dudes who are like on these book tours and stuff really attract kind of like a dangerous crowd. Is what I'm saying? Yeah, no, totally, totally. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah I forgot what I was gonna say. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> okay. Yeah, so now we're starting to get to the end. So I just want to give yeah. a couple quick announcements. This is written okay. Radio Free Brooklyn, the Truth to Power show, which is every Monday at 8 a.m. Um, if you live in New York City and want to feed their fun or exercise, here's a way to learn something about the neighborhood you're running in. Uh, City Running Tour is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with locals in mind. New York City takes pride in diversity and character of its neighborhoods. And these unique running tours have the, op the opportunity to learn the history of the neighborhood and get personal recommendations from your guide. Go to cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Um, also, check out their live tour every Saturday at 10 a.m. on instagram.com slash cityrunningtours. So just search for City Running Tours on Instagram. And then Saturdays at 10 a.m. they have a live tour uh, online, I believe. So thanks so much for being here and having this conversation. People don't check out City Sorry, Time. I fell off in the end right there. <laughs> Thank you, yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you. Thank you. And follow check out City Time. You can follow me at Foolish Tookie on Instagram. Tookie is spelled T-O-O-K-I-E. Otherwise, the word foolish. foolish All right, Tookie. cool. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.